0: Welcome to the Mike On Much podcast. I'm your host Mike Vierman, and I am here with my friend and trusty producer Max Kerman. Max, what's up? Yo yo, and I am also here with the pop culture aficionado and soon to be dad Shane Cunningham. <laughs> Is that how we're always
1: gonna introduce him? <laughs> pop culture, yeah. Pop-a-culture? It's like winning an Oscar. You're always uh,
0: introduced to a different way, or like a former president. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay, so lots going on, uh, guys, in pod world uh, we, today on the show. We have Mike Berbiglia, who we interviewed in Montreal at Just for Laughs, and uh, and he's a bit of a a godfather,
2: I think, of podcasts in a way, because he's been very much a part of this American life. And so like, I think people in the pod world would know his name pretty quickly.
0: Yeah. Well, I mean, we'll get to him in a bit. You know, I'm a huge fan of his movie. Uh, don't think twice. And it was a thrill to talk to him. And he actually has a show here in Toronto at the Toronto just for laughs, uh, 7 PM Friday night, September 29th, the Sony center for performing arts. So I, th- I, I think it's sold out. There might still be tickets online. Fun. You're going, I'm going, yeah. so I'm going this Friday. Uh, cause I'm really excited to see a show, you know, Sarah McLaren, who's a, a huge uh, advocate of this pod and, and amazing. Major friend of the pod, she um, she saw his show in Montreal and she said she like laughed and cried and it was really moving. So I'm excited to see uh, what Mr. Berbiglia has in store on Friday night at the Sony Center. So we'll get to him in a bit. A couple other things that are going on, guys. Um, I guess I'm like this dude that kind of like hosts panels now. It's cool. It's a cool gig, man. Do you like that? Uh, I mean, yeah, I enjoyed doing the panel at Just for Laughs in Montreal with a bunch of the Much Digital Studios creators. And this week on Thursday, I'm doing a JFL Presents In Conversation with Guys We F*** you'll have just heard us bleep that, but that's an extremely popular podcast and I'm hosting. So this at four forty-five at second city here in Toronto, I'm going to be talking to those ladies. Um, it's 60 minutes. So that's 45 minute conversation with me and the ladies. And then 15 minute Q and a with fans. You'll be
2: great mm-hmm. at it though, Mike. Like I, I, when we got the, the offer for you to host it, I was like, Mike will be just fine. And then they said, should Shane do it with you? I said, no. <laughs>
1: well, it's interesting. Because Did they actually? No, I'm just making that up. But I was in like, my I would, mind, I played that out. I was like, I, I wasn't on that Nixon. email. That, no, that was a good great. dig, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, but they do do it like a, kind of like it's all one big dessert from the one I listened to about their lives and stuff. So it'd be yeah. interesting if you ask them about like, you know, how we deal with legal issues, stuff like that, clearance. Shane, like, you know. I'm
0: not even kidding. So I've reached out to some people that are maybe familiar friend of the pod, Matt Unsworth, who lives down in LA, I mentioned the pod. I'm like, I'm taking like any suggestions of things we can talk about. It's a 45 minute conversation. We always sort of crowdsource from our friends whenever we're doing something like this. That's the first thing uh, mm-hmm. Unzi said was he was like, you guys know how in those first few episodes, Shane told some stories that never got to go to air because people threatened to sue you. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, yeah, hey, he's like, ask the girls if they have any issues with that because they're obviously talking about these encounters they've had with
1: guys they've met. Yeah. And I thought that was an interesting
0: angle. Like, yeah, do you ever worry sure. about the legalities? Like all the
1: problems that we have with the desserts, I think would apply to them and ask how they kind of navigate their way through. Yeah, and it's mm-hmm. a good way for me to sort of uh, shoehorn in some Shane stories that uh, yeah. promote the
0: podman. Yeah. <laughs> That's <laughs> you what it's know about it. at the NBA. Um, and then also, lastly, uh, I'm uh, moderating, hosting this uh, Letterkenny table read Friday, September 29th at the Bell Lightbox. That's going to be awesome because we love those guys. And there's
2: going to be a lot of diehards there. So Letterkenny fans,
0: buy tickets now. Buy tickets now because it's gonna it's gonna fill up. Yeah, real they're quick. like Canadian gods. People love them man. they really I love them
2: and you know Ash uh, I know Jared a little bit and Ash is, is really good friends with Jared and apparently he, he like he really runs the show like everything from like the promos that you yeah. guys have to cut to like the press he's willing to do it's like he does things exactly on his own terms which which is cool because it's like on one hand it's a kind of a You could say it's a campy comedy Canadian show. But on the other hand, it's like, no, that dude is the real deal. He's in 192.
0: Yeah. Which is a drama.
2: Yeah, which is a drama. And the way he sort of navigated running his own show and making it what it is today is like
0: really impressive to me. And like for a guy that has so much going on, like he couldn't be (laughs) nicer. Genuinely
1: nice. It's weird. Like when we went to his house to party that one night. He acted like he knew who I was and he's like, "Oh, from the podcast." And then he acted like he remembered me from a shoot we had like 9 months earlier. Did you do a shoot with him 9 months earlier? Yeah, but it was almost like an assistant like fed him something. He read it real quick and then like, I don't he, know. He might
0: remember you. I wouldn't be surprised. He, he's got a
1: but he knew everybody. Like he's very That's what I'm saying. Yeah. So even
0: though you know, with most people that are sort of, you know, uh the, recognizable or successful or celebrity,
1: you think they do need reminders? I Mm -hmm. think with him, he really just- Yeah, I don't think he actually had an assistant. I was just saying it was almost like that. It's that good, but he's
0: genuine, like honestly. And you know, he makes you feel really at ease.
2: He he has a fridge full of beer. I'm also in his, uh, he invited me to a a bachelor pool. So I was in a bachelor pool with him uh, this past season. The show, The Bachelor. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, Shane was very jealous. Yeah, Yeah, yeah. of course. So anyway, shouts there. So you're
1: the best friend to him out of the three of us, I guess. I guess so I'd yeah. be number, well, number one, but you know, things <laughs> can change. Wait till this table read. Yeah. Maybe I'll sneak That's in That's right, Mike will be number one.
0: Um, but yeah, so all those are going on. So if you're in the Toronto area, come check it out. Say hi to me, you know. Come for uh, the ladies from Guys We F***ed. Come for the cast of Letter Kenny and maybe say hi to me if you're around. Do it. Fellas, a lot going on. Tiff just uh, concluded here in Toronto. TIFF's, TIFF's pretty cool. I gotta say. Toronto International Film Festival. Now this isn't like, you know, sometimes if you have something happening locally, you pump it up, you're like, oh, it's a big deal. This is legitimately internationally a big deal. I think it might be considered the biggest film festival in the world. Yeah. I always get a lot
2: of pride. Like if I'm listening to like a movie podcast, Anne Hornaday, who's like my favorite movie critic for the Washington Post. She's like, I'm going up to Toronto to do stuff at TIFF. It's like on the
0: circuit with cans. And what's the other one in uh, Utah or whatever? (laughs) Sundance? That one. Yeah the Venice.
1: Venice. Venice. Place. There's a lot of great festivals, but I mean, do you guys think Toronto is the biggest? Well, Toronto, it's always one or two. Like, I don't know who rates these or how they're rated, but they always say it's number one or number two. I haven't been to the others, to be honest. But.
2: Did I tell you that my dad, not in the last like few years, but for probably a good like 20 year run or however long TIFF's been around for, would go to see like two to three movies every day during TIFF. I love that. He just like took time off work. He and his friend Simon would buy like a boatload of tickets. And my dad's thing is he doesn't want to know anything about any movie ever going into it. Like premise, stars. He doesn't read a single review. So get this. I don't know if I've told you this story. And a little backstory. The way he came to this method of watching movies is that when he was uh, a young person, he saw Rosemary's Baby. He was uh, in university in Detroit, went back home to New York. So he comes home. He's like, I gotta go see a movie this afternoon. He goes, "See, Rosemary's Baby, cool. Doesn't know anything about it. And he just remembers the feeling that it came over his body when it, when he finds out that
1: Rosemary had been taken over by what, like the, I've never seen that movie, Max You've never seen it? No. Have you really? No. Oh you, my goodness. Oh, you, it's oh. like a classic. I, I know. Essentially Rosemary,
0: uh, they move into this building in New York city. I won't give away the big, do you know the twist? A lot of people know the but twist no, except no, for no,
2: Max. No, ruins the story that you don't
0: She's
1: a man, right? Or something? <laughs> <laughs> no, that's Ace Ventura. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> both- anyway,
0: okay, okay. I'll,
1: I'll, I'll, are you we'll going to tell the, the plot? Twist,
2: but I'll just say...
0: Th- it, are we going to do a 30-year-old spoiler alert? It's just fine. Just do it. Tell me. Basically, she moves into this apartment <laughs> and uh, her husband and everybody in the apartment seems very weird and they're kind of obsessed with her. It's kind of like, she's like, is this a cult? What is going on? They make love. She kind of doesn't remember it. She gives birth to the baby. Everyone's obsessed with Rosemary's Roseberry's baby. And it's because of the spawn of, of Satan. Satan. Uh, Satan. Ah.
2: So, but my dad, when he when you realize that she's been taken over by the by satan basically he just remembers this like, crazy feeling coming over his body and he just knows that if he had read like one review of it mm-hmm. it'd be like the movie where something yeah. like happens you with,
0: boil it down to its most basic but he didn't he didn't get no that idea. shock value he
2: loved the shock value so then he has another story like this going to the Toronto film festival he goes to see this movie. Yeah, cool, okay. It's a western. Cool, I like westerns. Whatever. You know, a couple of guys hanging out in the in the mountains. I can guess where this <laughs> is going. <Yeah.
0: laughs> Brokeback Mountain. Yes. he had no idea that it was. Movie wow, was those guys are out. really close. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
2: But isn't that a cool way to witness? Because everyone who goes to see Brokeback Mountain knows it's about. Two did your dad doubles. walk
1: out of that film? <laughs> no, he
2: did not <laughs> walk. out of that. He was like, What? <laughs> yeah, no, actually, he did walk out of uh, Captain Phillips, though.
1: Oh, really? Yeah. Not, Not did enough get to- gay sex now. <laughs> <laughs> he gets a taste for it? <laughs> he gets a taste for it.
0: <laughs> Every movie's the search for the next broke back. <laughs> He's trying to guess my titles. This Western sucks <laughs> <laughs> now. Yeah, he bro. thought The Magnificent Seven might be an awesome orgy. <laughs>
2: Oh my God! Yeah. Wow, oh, man. Yeah, but anyway. So that, that. So actually, I've sort of prescribed to that model. I don't like to know much about when I <laughs> when I go into a
0: movie. I refuse to read a review. Well,
2: it's, I'll watch it's a trailer. I obsessive. know a premise,
0: but I won't. I won't read a review because it influences your thinking.
2: Well, it's it, it, it's very obsessive though, and it drives my mom crazy because <laughs> they'll be at like a dinner party, just like and like a movie will come up. And then my dad will, ah, and he'll like, stop mm-hmm. it. He'll cover his ears and he'll walk out of the room and just totally embarrass my mom. Also, if you go to movies with my dad, uh, when the previews start, he puts on his big ass headphones <laughs> and closes his eyes and he, and, and he starts, And then, but you can hear the music that's playing like Jackson Brown or something mm-hmm. like that while the previews are Because he's cranking it? Because he's cranking his wow. doesn't want to know anything.
3: That's crazy. Wow. Yeah. Wow.
2: But uh, this year's uh, TIFF was extra special because we had a friend who directed maybe the biggest movie of TIFF. I don't know if it was actually. but probably had yeah, some minds, of the
1: biggest it, it, buzz. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, let's, for a guy like Mike especially, it was uh, the Vince Carter doc. The Carter effect. About
0: yeah, so uh, really good friend of the pod, Sean Menard, who's going to come on. Uh, we went to high school with this guy. Literally, Sean Menard and my brother have been best friends since they were like eight or nine years old. Sean Menard was like running around my townhouse when he was like nine with my brother, you know, being funny like little kids. And Greg, who's also Mike's brother, my roommate, uh, has worked with Menard on and off
2: for the last three, four years, working on many different sports documentaries and Absolutely. grand projects. And you and Menard are kind of like nemesis, right? Basically. None. We, we, you know when Our rivals, s- maybe?
1: Yes. Uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> you know, when you're so like close to someone, you get a little bit competitive with them. So Menard uh, was a grade below me. But I, like, you know, I fail so many grades, I eventually get to meet <laughs> everyone in every grade. So, <laughs> I, uh, when I got to his grade, like, a uh, year below me, we became very, very good friends. It was it was kind of like uh, me, Mike's brother, and Sean. We we did everything together. We started, like, a, a production company called Snatch TV Productions, and Sean was, like, kind of, like, my right-hand man helping me out with everything, assistant directing, uh, when we got our basically our first job, we worked at the movie theater together and uh, we would do announcements together. We literally did everything together. If there was an athletic banquet, we would both host it. Shane and Sean were synonymous with each other. So it was always like a competition, like who's but better. We drove at- each other in a way because you both of wanted course. to be the
2: funnier, more attention seeking
1: guy. And then uh, Silver City, where we worked at the movie theater, had an award ceremony and this was kind of going to prove. Who's the better guy? And it was who does the best announcements and who's the funniest. And that's my dream to have a competition to see who the funniest guy is. Because, you know, you sometimes you have a view of yourself and then the public actually is like, oh, actually, you're not what you think you are. Turns out I got voted the funniest player. But Sean had a theory that if I got voted the funniest player, I wouldn't get voted for best announcements. But he was wrong. You got best announcements? (laughs) Yes. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. And then uh, he ended up doing this great doc that got into Tiff <laughs> directing. Was laughing, yeah. Would you yeah. say that
0: moment is what led to this moment of him being on stage
1: with was LeBron that, like, James?
2: The Probably, Stranger, yeah. Moment, like at the White House Correspondents Dinner led him to well, be the president? Well, it definitely,
1: uh, you know, it did, <laughs> it did drive him a little bit. So maybe in some way it did. I don't know. But. Well, for listeners,
0: what's so special is, so this guy we're talking about, Sean Menard, um, Who, like Max said, he's worked super hard. My brother's worked with him a bunch on Connor McDavid, Doc, who's number one pick in the NHL.
2: He came to your bachelor party? He was at my bachelor's at my
0: wedding. Uh, The only reason
2: why he's not a champagne boy is because he doesn't booze like mm -hmm. everybody else in the group. That's (laughs) That's basically (laughs) it. If, if, If he came out more, he'd be in. Yeah, but he he's he's a little more focused than everybody. That's the way
0: in to come out. We yeah. talk about him actually in the very first episode of this pod. That's true. If you want to go back and listen, but uh, what's so amazing is that Sean directed uh, this film called the the Carter Effect. It's about Vince Carter and his influence on the city of Toronto in the early two thousands when he came here and sort of was the first superstar that we'd ever seen in the NBA. We were a pretty young franchise, and what's so special is that LeBron James's uh, production company Uninterrupted uh, produced this. They ended up meeting up with. Sean, and there's a whole story that, that we're going to get into when Sean's on the thing. But what this led to was Sean Menard uh, being on stage at a massive theater in Toronto during TIFF with Drake and LeBron James. It was mm-hmm.
1: surreal to see. Uh, Shane, you were in the building for this. What was it like? Well, it was, it was extra weird too because my seat, I was sitting uh, directly behind Masai, who's the Toronto Raptors general manager, and to the right was uh, Dwayne Casey, the coach of the Raptors. So that was tripping me out because the entire time watching the film, I had already seen a rough cut. So I'm watching it through their eyes. I'm seeing what's what makes them laugh, what jokes are hitting and just how they're enjoying it. And then at the very end, Maasai runs out of his uh, seat. I'm like, I kind of wanted a picture with Maasai. But then he runs on the stage and then LeBron James comes out and then Drake comes out and it's just and Sean comes out. Like, it's pretty surreal to see, like, this guy you went to high school with all of a sudden on a stage with two of the biggest superstars in the world. Two of the 10 most famous yeah. people in the world. And probably, uh, he's the best GM in the NBA, maybe? Masai, Masai Ujiri.
0: Yeah. Uh, he's definitely top five. Considered that.
1: So that was very crazy. And then they do a Q&A. And Sean is on the same level, if not higher than these people, in terms of, like, the person answering the question. And at one point he puts his arm around LeBron James <laughs> and makes a joke. And I'm just cringing. Cause I'm like, if this doesn't go well, it's going to be so awkward. <laughs> but then the, there's a beat where no one laughs. And then the crowd just erupts and then LeBron's loving it. And then like, you know how you got that uh, fist bump with yeah. Wayne Gretzky. Get, he gets the fist bump with LeBron James. Yeah. That so was he won up to a The topic kinda. of the conversation with wow. the champagne
2: boys group is that my fist bump with Gretzky is really nothing compared
0: to what Sean just had that weekend. You should have brought your uh, funniest and best announcement awards and just conceded them to Sean after that. Well, I was heckling throughout the entire movie. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. So, yeah, memorable tiff, magical stuff. And there's so many, I think, stories uh, and things. And, you know, Sean's riding a wave right now. I mean- for a long time, he, he he's wanted to be on the pod. Well, and it was we funny. said,
2: yeah, do something worth, worthy of being on our yeah, pod,
0: and maybe we'll invite you. Well, what was impressive is when he said, I want to be on the pod, Max, you said, if you ever end up on a stage with LeBron and Drake, then you can be on the pod. Yeah. It was
1: oddly specific. It yeah. was. It's kind of <laughs> like the pigs fly,
0: and the man f***ing <laughs> did it. He delivered. What's the best? Uh, you know what? We'll save the show and stuff for when he's actually on the pod. Should we? So so listeners, Sean will be on, he will give us all of the inside uh, details on how he managed to do a a documentary produced by LeBron James and his company Uninterrupted, how his affiliation with Drake, how that all came about, because it's all very fascinating stuff. And we've all heard sort of like half versions of things because we are very strict. We're like, nope, save it for the pod. That is our mantra. And Sean has, so we're going to get the exclusive from him and his journey when he's on the pod in, in a few weeks. Yeah, I'm so happy for him. I, I, you know, that goes without saying. And-
2: I don't know where you guys, only maybe because my relationship's a little different. that I only came to know him in the last six six years, say. But it's nice to just be purely, genuinely happy for somebody and not be even a little bit jealous. Yeah. Because, you know, you see your friends do stuff and sometimes, and you're mostly happy for them. And then sometimes you're like, oh, shit, man, I could have had that or something. But with just me... I was away, I think we were in Edmonton that day and I was just like seeing uh, the pictures and stuff like that. Just like so thrilled for Sean.
0: So yeah. it was very cool. Yeah. Shane, how do you feel about Sean? Same as Max. <laughs> <laughs>
4: <laughs>
0: so actually, you know, Max, what you're speaking to, uh, which is kind of like the idea of like not being jealous and just being genuinely happy for somebody, kind of leads perfectly into our feature guest today, and that's Mike Berbiglia And that's only because he wrote and directed a movie called Don't Think Twice that I really loved and I recommended to a bunch of people. I saw this like a year ago, so I was excited to talk to him. But that movie is essentially about like a, a comedy troupe that's kind of, you know, doing their New York City thing and SNL version of it in the movie they'll scout this like comedy troupe and the thing is like they're like seven people or six i can't remember they work together you know they're all funny they all play a part they're all creatives but you know when snl comes and has a scout in the audience they all want to get on the big show so it's like they're working together in essence but they're also trying to achieve their individual goals and the movie really sort of i think focuses interestingly on what you're talking about like the idea of like being happy for a friend but then you know maybe professionally being a little bit envious yeah it's hard and creative right Mm -hmm. because everybody's you're all trying to work together. I think that's one thing that's worked really well, I think, with our group or like, you know, the idea of everybody supporting one another as yeah, opposed to sort of really taking stepping on out. each other's toes much. It's actually kind of unique, I feel mm-hmm. like, for a group our size.
2: When I say it, the Champagne Boys, is that everybody's sort of has their own lane and has generally been like helpful
0: or like found ways to naturally collaborate with each other. Yeah. And if none of the listeners have seen that film, uh, don't think twice. I really liked it. Uh, and Mike Birbiglia is like, you know, he's a celebrated standup. He's been in a, a lot of movies. Um, he's written and directed his own. And this interview specifically took place in Montreal uh, at Just for Laughs a few weeks ago. And it was, it's notable for a couple of reasons. We sort of the night before we do this interview, I'd run into Mike Birbiglia at the elevator and we sort of had this interaction. This was right after he'd come off stage and won his award for like a uh, best stand-up or standup of the year or something like that. And we talked a bit about this on our Just For Last episode, so... Almost right off the top, we kind of get into that award show, which just to put you in the right frame of mind had Judd Apatow there, Jim Carrey, Jim Carrey is sort of at the start of, and he's been in the news lately, obviously, because of fashion week and him going on about his existential sort of journey. Mike Birbiglia, sort of interestingly, we go right into that. We talk about mm-hmm. Jim at that award show. Mike talks about his headspace and winning that award. And then his journey sort of from starting out, like, and just kind of wanting to be funny and do stand up all the
1: way to making the films in his one man show. Do you remember who was watching us during that interview? I don't. There was a uh, Eddie Della through the window <laughs> glaring at me the entire time.
0: Are you serious?
1: Because I had almost, uh, if you haven't listened, I almost uh, attacked him that <laughs>
0: night. Go back and listen to the JFL
1: episode if you want to hear about Eddie Della So he he really didn't know who I was or anything. But then the next day I walk by him and he sees that I'm sitting down. I just walk right and sit down on the deck with uh, Mike probiglia on the patio. Yeah. So he's like, holy shit, this is actually somebody directly after that uh, interview. He messaged me on uh, Instagram. Seriously. Yeah. I guess I gained some credibility or like I must be somebody.
0: Little tidbit. So this is Shane and I sitting on the uh, patio, uh, back patio of the Hyatt Hotel, talking with Mike Robiglia about his career and many other things. Him interning at Conan O'Brien. Yeah. Lots you're, of great you're stuff. you
2: listening to it, just, you should only think about Eddie Doe's <laughs> also <laughs> watching you guys. That would be my recommendation for the listeners <laughs> on this one. Want to get to it? Let's do it.
0: have you been? I actually ran into you at the elevator last I night. remember,
4: yeah, we were both lost. <laughs> we were both lost walking away from the awards show, which is fitting because they were so disorienting. Yes. The awards. Because I, I, it was a very surreal thing to see Jim Carrey and Trevor Noah and Judd Apatow and Ali Wong and uh, all these people, Kenya and uh, you, Craig Ferguson, all these people... In the same room mm-hmm. together, all sort of giving some semblance of humorous and heartfelt speech, yeah. and 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 Jim Carrey just sort of blown the doors off the place, yeah, and me- you know mesmerizing the audience. Well, I mean, he was
0: fascinating. It was like his. His speech was sort of a mix of his manic sort of Jim Carrey
4: improv and yeah. then also really sort of insightful, uh, introspective. It's sort of an existential yes. exploration, I felt like. Totally. And th- the balance was completely compelling. You know, th- you never. It was wonderful. God, you want to see an hour of it.
0: Yeah, absolutely.
4: I just well, want to see more. That's
0: kind of where I was going to start was uh, the award that you won last night, which was for stand up comedian of the year. Yeah. So congrats. Thank you. Uh, what was going through your head? At the award show, I guess in general, give us a bit of that. I was I guess-
4: very mellow until I got in the room, and then I was entirely stressed out. <laughs> Why? I mean, I, we'll be—you you just look around and you feel like you're in some kind of weird dream with all those people. I didn't think when I was growing up that I, while you know, watching Pet Detective, that I'd meet the guy who's in the movie, mm-hmm. like. I grew up in Massachusetts in a suburb. Nobody went into show business. I mean, like, it's it's this outrageous turn of in my life, which is you can't account for, and it kind of never gets old. Yeah. It doesn't mean that it's, I mean, to speak to what Craig Ferguson said at the event, you know, he goes to, to the young comics, he goes, just so you know, the hole that you're trying to fill inside you by doing comedy, it doesn't go away. Mm-hmm. I'm, I've been doing this 30 years, it doesn't go away. That is true, but then sort of that 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 still exists, and then combined with that, if you're lucky, you end up in a room like that where there's all these mega stars who are the top of their field, yeah. and you just go, "Well, geez, I didn't see this coming."
0: When you set out to perform, you mentioned coming up in Massachusetts. Uh, like, had you had you always wanted to be a performer, or did you lean more toward writing?
4: Yeah, I wanted to be. I, Uh, Well, my brother Joe, who's here with me and works with me full time, collaborates with me, produces my specials, he introduced me to comedy when I was in like sort of eighth grade, which is the luckiest thing that could have ever happened to me. He was writing, he was a senior in in high school. He was writing satire issues of a school newspaper. And he, I was sort of, you know, standing over his shoulder at the computer going like, oh, that's funny. And maybe like I'd kick a line or two here and there, really being the audience for it the process and that got me into doing that so in high school i was writing satire satirical issues of my school newspaper i loved that and i started performing sketch comedy in high school you know and then i and then i did plays and so there's this whole sort of moment of like oh, I'd really like to do something in this realm. And that's when Conan was really in its sweet spot. Yeah. Like Con- Conan in the 90s just had like on staff and had Smigel and Louis C.K. and all these really innovative comedy minds were contributing to really sort of a legendary comedy Talk show,
0: yeah, it was absurd with the masturbating bear, yeah, the guy that would yell pubes, and it's just like it was really funny stuff that I, you know, I know Letterman had done it before, but
4: for no, there was a grunt, new energy, new. Yeah. yeah, no, absolutely. And it was, and so then I just want to be a writer for Conan that I, you know, was the goal. I, I think everybody did, like everybody in my generation, Mindy Kaling, and and uh, uh, I, I remember there's a bunch of people who ended up being interns, John Krasinski, uh. There, uh, there's a, a ton of us like who, who, uh, who, uh, who wanted to be writers in Conan. Which, that's all we wanted. I was an intern on Conan when I was a freshman in college. Okay, so
0: that's interesting. So first yeah. of all, did these goals always seem attainable to you? Because some people were like, hey, I didn't think I'd ever make it. I was just kind of trying to do good things. And then secondly, how do you land that internship?
4: For- I thought if I was lucky. I mean, I've always been a bit delusional. I think I've, I say this in my book, uh, Sleepwalk with Me. I think that to be a comedian, you have to be a, bit, a little bit delusional. You have to tell yourself it's going well when it's not going well. Because otherwise you wouldn't get on stage the next night. You'd just be like, I guess human beings don't like me, you know? And, and that's how I really was that way in high school. I thought like, oh, maybe someday I could be a writer on Conan. That, that seemed not likely, but like possible. And so then when I was an intern, I asked all the writers, Mike Sweeney and Brian McCann, Brian Stack, how do you become a writer, Conan? <laughs> it's like the quintessential thing. It's like, like the wrong question to ask. Is like, how do I become you? How do I get your job? How do I, yeah? How do I take you yeah. out? Yeah.
0: Here's the roadmap. But how do you get the internship? Because that in and of itself is like winning a lottery. Very
4: way. hard to get. Um, my sister Gina was working at Lifetime Television in New York City, which is a network. Yeah. And a friend of hers was a produ- who she had worked with at Lifetime was a producer at Conan he got me the interview the interview went well and then they i you know i think i really just kept bugging them to the point where sure. they were like you can show up next week you know it's sort of that kind of thing they really they didn't take me right away but they sort of like i wore them down i think and so i asked Brian McCann like you know Brian Stack, all these guys, how do you do this? Some of them would say, like Mike Sweeney, I was a stand-up. Some of them, Brian McCann, I was an improviser in Chicago. I went back to college at Georgetown, sophomore year, and I doubled down on being a stand-up and doing improv. Like I'm going to do all this. I'm going to do whatever these people did all the time and basically skip school. Yeah. I, mean, I barely went to college when I went to college. <laughs> well you got like an alternative education. I an alternative education. Sure. Make my own curriculum. I got a I won the funniest person on campus contest, Georgetown. Uh, and then that the one of the judges was the owner or the so it's just a manager and booker of the Washington, DC Improv Comedy Club, a stand-up comedy club. So I won the chance to perform there and uh and I won a two hundred dollar check. I should point out it was a large check, you know, <laughs> a human body size check <laughs> yeah. that really the the printing of it probably cost about two hundred dollars. I really wish, I really <laughs> wish course, they could awesome. have Pretty just. Yeah. Yeah, I wish they could have given thrown me maybe three fifty or four hundred <laughs> and just not done the big check. Yeah. So you still have the check? No, God, no. Right. I mean, yeah. <laughs> so then I performed at the DC Improv. I opened for Dave Chappelle. Long before the, long before Chappelle became what he, the mega story became. And it was right before Half Baked was about to come out. Okay. And he goes, uh, and, and I, you know, and then, and then I I asked to do some more up there. And they said, well, do, you, we don't need you to do stand up, We have enough of that, but you can work the door, take tickets, bring nachos to tables. And that's what I did. I did that for like. Almost four years. Wow. When and then asked, I sort of would get mm-hmm. on stage and ask advice. You know, I, I, I opened for George Lopez and Margaret Cho and Kathleen Madigan and Mitch Hedberg, so David Tell. Successful
0: comedians are coming through your Yeah, you know, I'm,
4: I'm Brian Regan, all these guys, Jake yeah. Johansson, just asking them tons of questions. I mean, I, mean, I, I, I suppose the, the way I ended up here is just by asking way too many questions and being really annoying. Are you able And now, to, now I'm annoying sorry. your listeners.
3: <laughs> <laughs> when you, um, like when we were at the award show, um, someone was saying when they saw, I think it was Judd Apatow, he was saying when he saw Jim Carrey, you just knew he was going to be a star. Is it like that when you see someone like Dave Chappelle? Or
4: <laughs> By the Jim- way, can we speak to what Judd said when he goes, every comic in this room. Uh, knows that that they're not that that Jim Carrey's better than them. Except yeah. maybe Mike Birbiglia It was like, what you What What are you talking about? What are you talking about? What are you getting at? I mean, Jed and I are good friends. Like, what does that even mean? Maybe he's speaking to your self-confidence. Uh, I don't know. I certainly don't feel that way. That was a, it was like a it was like a slight burn. He burned me and kept moving. <laughs>
3: yeah and it didn't seem like you're that type of guy so I, was no, like, I know. Huh, what's was the backstory here?
4: Mm. There's no backstory. I had a dinner with the two of them the night before it was very nice <laughs> that's hilarious maybe he was getting that vibe off me. maybe the know. joke is that's the antithesis to who you are maybe, so, it, is. Yeah. maybe it is maybe it is maybe maybe like jimmy carr's thing jimmy carr's thing was amazing right. his oh, intro of he, me was ridiculous he was great
0: and he's a buddy of yours yeah
4: he's he's and he's very generous one of the funniest comics in the world that people don't know his work one of the the world's great comedians and and always i said in my thing i said in my speech i go Always looks like he's about to give an award. Yeah, yeah that he's was great. totally true. And then job. he introduced me by saying he's been compared to his movie's been compared to Woody early Woody Allen, his stand up's been compared to early Bill Cosby. <laughs> <laughs> so he's clearly a sexual predator yeah. of some kind. Hiding, hiding in plain sight. Yeah, hiding in plain sight. <laughs> <though. Yeah, laughs> yeah, ridiculous. Yeah, Jimmy is just is brilliant. But mm-hmm. uh, I'm, I'm sorry, I interrupted your question. Yeah, it was just.
3: Do you have the? Uh, do you see someone like Dave Chappelle and, like, that's going to be a star? This guy's going to blow up? Or is it just... To me, he already was. Okay. So, when
4: I, so that was, like, post-HBO special, maybe, like, an HBO half hour, I think he had. Yeah, okay. Or right around that time. Like, I had seen him on, like, comics, uh, comic relief. Mm. I'd seen him on talk show. He was, like, 24, 25. And but he'd been to on me, TV. he, he was a spots. big yeah. star. I mean, you know, for comedy nerds like us, like... You know, people are stars before the stars Like right. I was a fan of Mitch Hedberg When he had a Comedy Central half hour and Not when he had you know, Three specials and four albums or whatever mm-hmm.
0: Well you, you mentioned um, You know grinding, working Doing improv sort of while you were going to school I, I mentioned this when I saw you at the elevator That I'm a big fan of Don't Think Twice Oh
4: thanks so when you write, which a- by the way I should ask you, in Canada, is it on Netflix? Is it on iTunes? I don't even know what where it's available. So
0: here's the truth: I actually rented it. It was on demand, but it is now available like on the movie network and all oh, that. Oh, is it? Okay. Oh, and, it and is on, that- it's on Netflix. I think now, that's how I saw it. Netflix, just came on Netflix. Yeah. Oh, great! It's Available everywhere. Now. Okay,
4: that's great. Yeah, it's great to hear. But I paid the money for it early. I really need that. And if you could just throw me a few bucks at the end of this interview, I'd I'll, really you know, appreciate it. I'll give you a two hundred dollar check because I. It's just that they don't come. The money doesn't come through direct channels. So if you could just throw, <laughs> just if you get could throw me man. the money in the short term, yeah. as soon as I get it. I'll send it back here, Western Union. I
0: like it. I'll e-transfer you the money. <laughs> the, uh, yeah, so, I mean, obviously the character you play. Miles, but, despicable. Yeah. Well, I mean, there's Cad. something. You really capture the sort of essence of trying to be successful in creative. Because it's oh, like, thanks. you know, there's there's envy, but you're happy for your friends. Sure. And, you know, yeah, all of that all stuff. All of it, yeah.
3: But you still seem likable, even though you oh, were thanks. maybe doing dubious things.
4: Um, well, it's, if people don't know the film, it's like my character, it's about his group of best friends. In an improv group, or one of them gets cast on a Saturday Night Live type of show. Yes. And the rest of them don't. And it's about what happens with friendships when people realize that not everyone's gonna get the same thing in life. Well, the That's question That's really the essence of it.
0: Is how personal is that character? Because you must have seen peers go on and now you're very successful, so
4: I I feel like I feel like I'm I there's pieces of me in th- in three of the characters. That's what I'm getting at. Yeah, yeah, I would say. Miles, I have a little bit of his bitterness, my character. Keegan's character Jack, I have a little bit of like the aspirational, the ambitious side, um, and then Gillian is really Gillian's character Samantha is really who I want to be. So I wish mm. I was the person who's who's uh, optimistic and hopeful that the art can conquer commerce. You know what mm-hmm. I mean that 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 art is greater than commerce. Yeah, and and I'd like you know honestly, I'd like to think that that's what I've been able to do or try to do in my career, which is make things that are small, that have artistic integrity, as opposed to making things big, where, you know, Fox or Universal or Paramount will say like, no, 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 that doesn't appeal to enough people. We need to make our $30 million back. I feel like I work in small budgets so that I can, that I don't need to make big grosses. Well, that's speaking to sort of the
0: the workflow or the minutia of the business. Do you write then send to your friends like you have specific casting so much and then yeah and then do you like do you have a hand on like raising the money do you fund your own films
4: how do you all make that. one of your films <laughs> all, all of it all, that's all correct right, right. <laughs> that's next question no it's sure, uh, sure. no it really is a soup to nuts thing i mean it's we're living in an era where we're we're you know when i was in college it's a totally different era than when i was in college i made a short film it cost me $4,000 to make like a 10-minute short that was so bad that the editor stole the footage and never returned it to us. (laughs) That's how how bad it was. It was uneditable. And it was $4,000. And the quality of that footage could be shot today on my iPhone that I'm holding for free. That's it. I mean, for whatever, you know, whatever an iPhone costs, 700 bucks, 600 bucks. We're
3: could getting I, the
0: wrap up could, sign
3: here. man. Can I just ask one more question? Please. Please. So um, Mike and I were
4: kind of having a, a debate about this. By the way, there's a lot of pressure on this question. It's really, yeah. the hammer. this is going to encapsulate it all. And also, <laughs> by the way, plugging my show in Toronto in September.
0: This is what I was going yeah, to get yeah. to, but, uh, you Please. know, we end up going the long way around. I want to talk about the show you premiered here in Montreal. Yeah. But,
3: you know. Is that what your question was? No, but no. If this is the preferred thing. The
0: plug is why you're here. Well, the show's coming to Toronto in? September. September. This just will absolutely be out before that. the Sony Center. I literally, one of our colleagues saw your show last night, which premiered here in Montreal. Yes. She, she said she cried, tears of laughter, and then also emotionally moved. I heard,
4: I just heard that that was so nice to hear. That's the goal.
0: Yeah. That's the goal. So that's a good plug. Now, Shane, that's with really your, nice. big, your big
1: question. Well, I was your just going to say,
3: um, and Mike and I were debating this yesterday over dinner, that a lot of people say sometimes you have to be an asshole to make it in this industry. And I had a confrontation kind of yesterday with a comedian where he was like mildly rude to me and he wasn't even like big or anything. I was like, oh, what? And Mike's kind of like, yeah, sometimes you got to be an <laughs> asshole to make it. But you seem totally like you're not like that. You have like, I don't know, maybe it's just you have a kind face or something, but you truly see like seem like you are a nice person. Do you think there's one right way to go about it or be yourself or being an asshole does actually...
4: I, lead I appreciate that. I aspire to be nice. I think that nice... I think being kind and being nice is—it's uh, important to be valued because I think that we're, even though we're entertainers and we're and our jobs are very important to us, ultimately we're just these people, and then you know in, in 50 years will be gone from the earth and what you know what will you have to say for yourself like i made these movies yeah who cares were you nice to people right. and it, and i i it, it's important to me i mean i it's hard at a festival like this cuz there's so many people who you know young comics and people going want, who who want to talk or whatever it is and you sort of try to give a few moments to everybody but but also um, yeah i'd like to think, i mean if you'd have to ask people i've worked with you know like people produce my specials, the ADs on my movies and the various costume departments and makeup departments, but I I, I try to. I try my best, I'm sure, as you guys do.
0: Mm -hmm. Thanks for your time, man. We really appreciate it. Thanks. And I would love to talk more about, uh, we're from Toronto, so when we are in town, I'd love to talk more about your show.
4: That seems great. Yeah, man. Awesome. Thank you so much for having me.
0: Welcome to The Desserts. I'm here with, of course, Max and our pop culture aficionado, Shane. Papa culture. Papa culture. <laughs> daddy boy. Yeah. Daddy boy? What's daddy boy? I like papa culture. It right, just right, makes we'll more
1: sense. <laughs> Shane, this is dessert, what do you got for us? Well, uh, you know, since the latest news about me becoming papa culture, uh, <laughs> I guess I'm going to actually review a lot more pop culture because I'm, I, I made the decision not to drink for the entirety of the pregnancy. It's kind wow. of Ooh, interesting. Wow. Interesting. Yeah. It's, it would cause so many problems in our relationship and, you know, to be fair, she's not going to be drinking at all. So I'm not, I, I just think in solidarity, it's, it's the it's better nice, way to nice, go. Good move. And I want to be healthy and I want to have energy for the kid. Cause you know, you don't want to be lethargic and bloated or whatever when the kid right. pops out.
0: So at our friend Matt McPeak's wedding in a couple of days, you will not be uh, consuming any alcohol.
1: Well, it's probably for the best, guys. Let's face it. The, the Like, you know, there's going to be some people there uh, that I could make a fool of myself in front of. Uh. Oh. If anyone has heard the Share Club episode, you know what I'm talking about. Oh. But, yeah. <laughs> maybe we have to cut that part, yeah. but yeah, I yeah, don't yeah. Know. Let's carry on. <laughs> producer keeping it moving. All right. All right. But uh, so I've been trying to find, a, watch a lot of movies and TV shows. And Alex, um, my wife, has been very uh, emotional. And Moody, uh, we're thinking a lot of, like we have concerns if something goes wrong with the pregnancy like that, like we've announced very early. So it's on our mind. So we're hyper aware of that. We're trying to be as healthy as possible. And I'm like, I've never held a baby before. So I'm worried about when the kid does come out. I'm just worried about even holding Is the baby. Keeping your
0: street going. <laughs> oh yeah,
1: yeah. You hold it. <laughs>
0: You've actually never held a baby in your life.
1: No, I never, like, I remember when I was, um, 11, someone had a baby around and they were like, here, hold it. And I was just like terrified of holding this baby. So I've never held a baby. I'm like, I'm going to hold a baby when it's mine. So if I, like, if I drop it, like in my mind, the baby just dies when you, when you drop it, That's right? That's probably true. So I'm scared. And the other day we were at our, uh, a baseball thing after we won our championship and, uh, a guy on the team was like, Hey, hold my baby for practice. And I just got so terrified. And Alex, uh, the other night she just started bawling her eyes out. And I was like, what's going on? And she was like, I've never paid a bill before. Really? So she's like, you know, we're really like getting worried about the reality. Cause I pay all of our bills. Right. So worried about the realities of life a little bit. And the other day, I actually, I almost seriously injured your brother. So I'm like, I'm almost like hurting Live adult men. You almost hurt my brother. <laughs> yeah, like really bad. Actually, this was actually horrible. Almost so, I'm walking, and I do this thing where I um I carry a medicine ball when I walk because I like to add an extra eight pounds to my weight. So if I'm walking, it's like, hey, I'm I'm like a, I'm I'm walking oh, like what? I. So I, when I go for a long walk, I carry a medicine ball with me. Okay. So it's like I'm heavier than I am, so I'm carrying extra weight without being that extra weight, and then you burn more calories. Okay. So I'm walking. I thought this was to get ready for the newborn.
2: Eight pounds. Eight <laughs> no, <wait, I'm>, <laughs> under my shirt. <laughs> you should just put in like a baby holster thing. Like, you know, it
1: no, it has nothing to do with baby. It's just I, for fitness. Sure. So I'm, I'm walking by uh, the French the other day. And I see. Restaurant. Yeah, yeah the French restaurant. And I see uh, the waitress. And she's like, hi, Shane. Hi, Alex. And then she's like, Greg's here. And I was like, Greg, Cara. And he's like, oh, playing basketball. And I go, oh, no, it's a medicine ball. And I I just keep moving along an hour later when I'm coming back from my walk, he's coming towards me and he's like, hey, pass me the ball. I'm like, this will kind of be funny. Maybe he didn't hear me say it's a it's a medicine ball. So I throw him the medicine ball, forgetting that he had just dislocated his shoulder. So he goes to catch it. But then it's like, it's a heavy f***ing ball. And then it's like, and it like throws his arm back. But the second he feels weight, he just drops his arm. And the ball just kind of bounces at his feet and rolls onto the road. But he's like, oh, man, like it was a very terrifying moment. Anyway, that extra freaked me out because I was like, I almost really hurt like a, a grown man. <laughs> so anyway, <laughs> I got into, uh, I was trying to make Alex feel better. So we got into uh, the show Ball in the Family. With LeVar Ball, like it's his new uh, reality show. It's on Facebook, right? It's on, uh, yeah, it's on the the internet. It's like kind of like a Kardashian style show. So you guys start watching this show? Got super in it because it, it, he's, like, the best dad. Like, um, he just... <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> well, I lo- Is like- this how you're getting parenting lessons from LeVar Ball? Honestly, though. <laughs> <laughs> he's so good. <laughs> like, he doesn't drink. All of his kids have, like, 4.0 GPAs. Like, they're very smart. They're very disciplined. And they, uh, you know, I, I'd love to, like raise a little NBA player. Like he has three, like he has three boys, right? They're all NBA prospects. That's right. One's in the NBA. Mm -hmm. And he, he has this, uh, like mantra type of thing where he, he's like, if you want it to happen, you just got to will it into existence. So, and that really made Alex feel better because he has a, uh, his dream was for his son to play for the Lakers to go number two. And everyone was questioning whether that was a possibility. And then LeVar's like, I know it's gonna happen. It's gonna happen because I'm willing it into existence. And the reporter's like, What if it doesn't? He's like, It is. Anyway, long story short, the his son, Zo Lonzo Ball, got picked number two, That's and he's right. playing for the Lakers. That's right. And he, he, now he's setting up his other sons to play in the NBA. So this is kind of like inspiring thing it made Alex feel really good. Now she loves Lavar Ball as do I because his wife actually in the show had a stroke. That's right. And then he like he totally helps her nurses are back to health and you love LeVar like you would love LeVar oh, after watching okay. this. He's a totally different guy than kind yeah. of he's portrayed in the media. So that was a good show kind of save the day. Now, here's kind of like a thing that kind of went south because Alex and I wanted to have a movie night because that's going to be our new thing and our not drinking time. And we wanted to see the movie Mother. The new Darren Aronofsky. The new Darren Aronofsky film. And we love movies like uh, psychological thrillers, like uh, Starring ex- Jennifer Lawrence. Yeah, Starring Jennifer Lawrence. Darren Aronofsky is actually dating Jennifer Lawrence, That's right? There's quite an age gap there, too. In real life? Yeah. yeah. Cool. Uh, and the movie kind of mirrors actually his real life because Javier Bardem stars in the movie also. And the age difference is, uh, I believe, the exact same between Javier and Jennifer Lawrence. But anyway, it's a movie, if you've seen a movie like Exterminating Angel or The Invitation or I guess Rosemary's Baby, it's kind of in that theme where weird shit starts to happen. And Aronofsky is one of my favorite directors. And I heard that this movie was kind of about Mother Nature. So I was like, okay, like it's called Mother. Originally, I thought Michelle Pfeiffer was going to just be like a psycho mom or whatever. I didn't know too much about it. Right. We go to the theater and the movie starts and it's kind of like this very ominous, freaky vibe in the film. Javier Bardem, like, do you want to set the movie up a little well, bit? Well, I was going
0: to say that the big thing with this film is that it's like, everyone says it's polarizing. It has like striking images. It's very weird. It's inaccessible. Uh, it's 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 challenging. And it's kind of like a, an art house film, sort of masquerading as a mainstream thing because it's starring Jennifer Lawrence, who's a huge star, right? And this
1: is the guy who directed Requiem for a Dream. And Black which is, Swan, yes. which was a
0: big Oscar, darling. So anyway... But people knew this was going to be a challenging film. I saw the film as well. And and so that's kind of the setup. And and so like it starts with this couple uh, in this house that's sort of like really secluded in the woods. It's Javier Bardem. He's an artist of some sort with writer block. Jennifer Lawrence is his young wife who's sort of um, renovating the house. And it's just the two of them. And then one day, Ed Harris shows up at the door. And then weird shit starts happening.
1: So all these people just start showing up. And they just won't leave for whatever reason. Turns out Ed Harris is a big fan of Javier Bardem's work, whatever. Michelle Pfeiffer then shows up and then she's acting very strange. And then it just keeps more and more people start showing up and, and they won't leave. And the house is overrun and Jennifer Lawrence gets very overwhelmed. Well, then you find out before long, she after she has one, she sleeps with Javier Bardem once. And then she wakes up and she's pregnant. So it's very, like, similar thing that happened with Alex and I.
0: Alex f***ed Javier Bardem?
1: Yes. (laughs) You know, our other kids. (laughs) (laughs) Little Spanish kids. (laughs) But I'm like, this could go bad and kind of mess with our emotions a little bit. It's a very ominous, scary movie. But I'm like, okay, it's not gonna go through the full pregnancy. What's gonna happen? All of a sudden, she bends down and gets up, and she's got a full tummy. This movie's kind of like trippy. Like, it's kind of like an acid trip, the entire mm-hmm. film. So she has a full tummy. I'm like, oh shit, something really bad's gonna happen to Jennifer Lawrence. It's gonna ruin our night. So I'm just rooting for everything to go okay. All of a sudden, it's like a riot in the f-ing house. Like, people are barging through into the house. Like, it's like a riot. Like, bombs are going off. Literally, machine guns are. Jeez. So this might be a bit of a spoiler alert. If you're, No one's going to see this movie. <laughs> though, trust me. Anyway, she locks herself into a room with Javier Bardem and just away from the chaos that's happening in the house. And like Kristen Wake shows up. and She starts shooting people in the head. Like the movie gets really f***ed up. She ends up having the baby. Baby comes out. In this room with just Javier Bardem. They're locked into the room now and she gives birth to the baby. Baby comes out and then... Javier's like, let me hold it. And I'm like, don't hold that baby, Javier. Like, something bad's (laughs) gonna happen. And I'm scared to hold babies too. And then she's like, no. And she won't let Javier hold the baby. The big thing is that, because mm-hmm. all these people that keep coming that are obsessed with Javier Bardem, he keeps
0: letting them in the house. And she's like, why are you letting these people into the house? So she's she's angry at him that he's allowing
1: this all to happen. Have but you be- seen this movie? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. But because they- uh, Is this a Stephen
0: King novel or something? No, it's okay. original work by Darren Aronofsky. Okay.
1: So Javier is pretty obsessed with fame, it turns out. So he just likes all the people around because they're just showing up to kind of worship him. The adulation. And she's saying, what about us and the baby? And so she doesn't quite trust him. She doesn't want to give him the baby. And then- she falls asleep. I'm like, oh shit. Uh, and by the way, when she does have the baby, it's one of the most painful looking pregnancies ever. Why like, why would you
2: bring it she acted up the I hell didn't out of know, it man,
1: I didn't know. The movie's called Mother. Yeah, it's I was directed t- by this guy who I only was makes told, weird shit. I was told, <laughs> I, me, I was told, I was told it was about mother nature. Whatever. And, and I thought Michelle Pfeiffer was the crazy mom. I didn't know this was gonna happen. So, anyway, the baby gets Javier grabs the baby. And all of a sudden, she's like, "No, no, give it back!" Javier gives it to the crowd. The baby starts pissing. It's the baby's being crowd served. Then it gets ripped apart, and the crowd eats the baby. Then Jennifer Lawrence goes after to get like collect the baby parts. They <laughs> kick her to the ground. They call her a. <laughs> they beat her to death. Then she goes oh to my the. God. <laughs> yeah. Then she goes to the basement and like, opens this like weird like vat, and all this black shit comes out, and then she burns the house. The whole house go- goes up in flames. She engulfs herself and then she's just this charred like nothingness. And then the movie kind of ends like there's a little bit more, but I don't want to ruin the film.
2: <laughs> <laughs> was Alex like very distraught leaving the theater? She must have been.
1: She no, was I'm shaken. distraught after just like listening to the review. It's one, It's the most disturbing film of all time. Yeah, anyone would be shaken up. Did you like the movie though? I thought it was awesome. Me too. Yeah,
0: I really enjoyed it. I, like I thought it was—it was challenging and it was weird, but I couldn't recommend
1: it to a lot of people. The only, honestly, the only person I wouldn't recommend it to is pregnant mothers. <laughs> 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 Seriously. <laughs> I got my
2: hair.
0: That's it. That's all. That's our episode. Thank you so much. Uh, check out Mike Probigula uh, this Friday at the Sony Center for Performing Arts. If you haven't already have a ticket, I don't know if it's sold out, go on StubHub, find your shit. Uh, please get in touch with the
2: pod. Leave a comment rating on iTunes. Tweet at us. Message us. DM us on Instagram. Whatever you want to do. We'd love to hear from you. Um, the artwork for the show is provided by Jenna Gregory. You can get more of her stuff at jennasdoodles.com. Big thanks to Tara Paquette for uh, putting together the visuals for the show. Webmaster Dan, Justin Stockman,
0: Greg Stewart. Sarah McLaren. Sarah McLaren. The whole gang that helps this thing roll. At Micah Much on Instagram and Twitter if you don't know already. See you next week if we don't die on the weekend.